Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. Thanks for joining us for worship today. Um, if you'd like to stand with me, or I'm not standing today, but please stand <laughs> <laughs> if you're able, and please sing with me.
see it. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we praise you as the one who knit us together in our mother's wombs, the Lord and giver of life. You lead us by your spirit. You promise to remind us by your spirit of everything you have taught us. By your spirit, you always are with us and in us. So it is never just us. We never are limited to our own ideas or plans or resources. Thank you. Your love is unfailing. Your forgiveness is ours to accept. Thank you that your love and welcome do not depend on our performance or good deeds. Despite who we are, your love and welcome are ours because of who you are. Thank you for making a way for us to be restored to you. Thank you for sending Jesus to us. And for what you're doing in each of our hearts, the great makeover, making each of us less like us and more like you. A good work you promised to bring to completion. Thank you that it is in love that you convict us of what we need to confess and to take up or to lay down. And you make us able to do so. You always are speaking and guiding us by your word. May we be willing to listen, to open it, to take it in and to live it out. Heavenly Father, as we read the news, it's easy to be afraid or to despair. And so many that we love are suffering. We pray for your comfort and peace and leading and solutions. You are the God of mercy. May your voice be the loudest in our ears. May we lock our eyes on your word and who we know you to be. Protect and bless Steve and our elders and all the church staff and helpers. Guide them in their work and decision-making and provide for them in every needed way. Give Steve endurance and joy in his work and a strong sense of your leading and presence and love for him. May all your will be done for our church and church family. We ask it for your honor and for our blessing. And we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our King. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome once again to La Jolla Community Church. We are glad to see every one of you here today. And um, also a special welcome to those watching online. Um, as you arrived, you should have received a bulletin on which you'll find both a connect card and a prayer card. Um, we'd love for you to take a moment, fill out that connect card, let us know you are here. Um, we can get you plugged into the church, especially if you're joining us for the first time today. Um, also, we invite you to please take a moment, fill out the prayer card, uh, let us know what's on your heart, and we can be praying for you over the week. Now, after the service, you can drop these cards off um, near the entrance there in the box, along with any um, tithes or offerings, either on the box near the entrance or the boxes in the foyer. And with that, I'd love to have Pastor Steve come on up. Well, good morning to you. Hope you're having um, a good transition from super hot weather to more normal autumn weather. Uh, this is starting to feel a little bit more like it should in autumn. Uh, though it's not quite the sweaters yet. Though you have a sweater on, you're, you're, you're leading the pack. You're, you're an outlier, fashion, a fashion-forward guy. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, my gosh. Jen and I uh, got away for a couple weeks. Uh, <clears throat> our birthdays are three days apart. 
Uh, she's much older than I am, and I, uh, <laughs> she's much younger than I am. And uh, so we always try to do something to celebrate our birthdays. Years ago, early in our marriage, we realized, you know, giving each other gifts was just, it was just so challenging. And actually, giving me gifts is challenging. <laughs> so um, we said, let's not give each other gifts. Let's just go do something fun. And, and, and so we, that's what we do. And it's made life much easier. But so I said, hey, what do you want to do for your birthday? She said, I want to be in a stream fly fishing. Well, that's easy in La Jolla to do that. And oh my gosh, yeah, what else do you want? You know? um, so uh, this friend of ours had been, I said, you know, with quotation it's bugging us to, to come visit him in Wyoming. And I said, I said okay, hey, uh, how about this? We'll come out to Wyoming in October. He said, oh my gosh, that'd be perfect. So we got to Wyoming. And uh, if you think of Wyoming as just this desolate cowboy place, you haven't been there in a while. Uh, it's it's like La Jolla with mountains, you know? Uh, it's not as crazy as Aspen, but it still looks like, I was there probably 40 years ago with Janet, and it, it still looks like a mountain cowboy town. But it, it's really not that way. It's just a great place to hang out. And, and instead of all the crowds, uh, it's, uh, it was just a very quiet time of year. So anyway, long story short, there we were on her birthday fly fishing, and I'm thinking, you know, why don't I do this more often? You know, do you feel that way when, when you take time to do something that you really like to do? Uh, maybe you're gardening, maybe you're cooking something you haven't cooked in a long time. Maybe you're shopping. I know there's people who just get restored shopping. If you, if you said, Janet, I'm going to punish you severely, you've got to go shopping. That would, be, that would work for her. But, uh, but we've had dear friends who would say, hey, do you mind if I take the girls shopping? And the girls are like, yeah. And Janet says, yeah. So uh, for Janet, it's, you know, fly fishing, and, uh, which makes for a perfect marriage. The only thing that could be better is she had a boat. Then it'd be an ideal, ideal marriage. But um, anyway, I was just thinking, it's a, it's a complicated thing to go fly fishing, right? Because if you actually work out the, the cost, it's about $1,000 a pound, you know, when you, when you come down to it. Because first of all, you don't keep the fish. You, you catch them. And I always, my specialty, because, you know, anybody can catch these big fish. My specialty is going for the very small fish because they're the harder ones to get. You've got to get past all the bigger fish to snag those little tiny fish and so that's my specialty. But just being on a river, it's like being on a golf course. No matter where you are in the world, if you're on a golf course, it's beautiful. Because right there where you're playing, it's going to be green and verdant and there's water. Uh, same thing with, with fly fishing. Um, and it just got better. You know, uh, a few days later on my birthday, Janet, Janet said, okay, um, we're having waffles for breakfast. I'm like, awesome. Uh, the, the catch is they're on top of a peak that's 10,240 feet. A waffle is, is sitting at 10,240 feet, yeah. And so the guys that built the gondola uh, in, in Jackson, uh, up in the shack, started making waffles. And when they finished it, they said, hey, we should keep doing this. And then they turned it into a concession. And so uh, a, a lot of people waste their time hiking up there. Not me, I'm, a, I'm an efficient guy. So I just paid the money and got on the gondola, and 15 minutes later, I'm, I'm in this little shack, uh, me, Janet, and our friend. There's nobody there except for one guy vacuuming. I said, your mother would be proud of you. And he said, would you take a picture so I could send it to her, you know, just to prove I'm doing this? I said, okay. So I'll, and they had the Englishman's waffle. I said, well, I'm an Englishman. I'll, 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 I'll have that. And he hands me this waffle on a piece of foil, with some whipped cream and lemon on it. He goes, there you go. I said, yeah, where do I get a fork? He goes, we don't have forks here. You don't have forks here? 
why would we have forks here? It'd be a bunch of junk we'd have to take down every day. So we just make the waffle and hand it to you. And, and I'm thinking, this is my kind of place. Actually, you know, um, this is like camping in style. It ended up being one of the best waffles I've ever had. I was expecting some, you know, bad version of a waffle. It was so good. And then, I, I, you know, we're sitting outside and on this, on this peak, it's, it's literally the top of a peak, and all of a sudden these guys show up with these big bags on, and uh, I'm thinking, that's the biggest pack I've ever seen. How's this guy doing it? He's got two of them, one on the front, one on the back. And I'm thinking, this guy is amazing. Well, he drops it, and then some kid picks it up. <laughs> I realize it's a parasail, and he's got two of them. And so he puts on this parasail, and somebody's actually paid money uh, because they have a death wish. And they, 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 he says, okay, just start running. And the guy goes, Where? Start running toward that edge. And the guy's like, running up toward that edge. Yeah, but you'll be attached to me. So they take off in this parasail. So I'm realizing, as I talked, I, I talked to a guy on the way up and then on the way back, I said, is that just the most exhilarating thing you do? He goes, for me, this is what life's all about. I've given up a lot of stuff so I can live in the mountains. I ski, I'm a mountaineering guide, and I do this. Well, the theme here is all these people, and I kept meeting people like this, uh, wherever I went. And, and the theme, it was that they were making the most of life. Some of them were saying, uh, it's impossible to live here. Uh, and I just wanted a lottery where I got an apartment. Now this guy teaches downhill racers who get, then go to the Olympics. And then off-season is a fly fishing guide. And so he, he goes, yeah, we made, a, we made a lot of sacrifices to live here, but we're making the most of our life. I thought, wow, that's awesome. And then uh, it, was on, it was a Sunday while we were there, uh, so we, we went to church with our friend, and fantastic church. Uh, there's a few of them, a few great churches there, and it turns out one of the pastors was a woman and whose dad I'd met when I was in seminary, and he was the president of Young Life, and we were on this plane together. We had this, we were both going to hear this guy, J.I. Packer, speak, and we're sitting next to each other, and I, I knew who he was, but I'd never really met him, and so we were talking, and just getting off that flight, it had clarified some things for me about what I wanted to do. You know, so I'm thinking, hey, your dad really played an important... I've never met her. But uh, I said, you know, your dad made a, a big impact in my life. And um, this theme of making the most out of your life uh, is sticking with me. And that is, what does it look like to make the most of your life? Some people fly into Jackson on private jets. And the jet flies right under the Grand Teton. Uh, some people hitchhike into Jackson. Uh, everybody I talked to in Jackson, I literally talked to the most amazing cross-section of people because that's my weakness in life. I can't help but be curious about what people do. And so this woman, this refined woman from the South, is telling me that she busts mavericks. Uh, she busts wild mustangs. I said, you do not look like a person who busts. She goes, well, they've been busting me pretty much, but I just decided one day I didn't want to be a, a um, Southern Belle. I wanted to move to Wyoming and, and train horses. And then she's working in this shop, and then this guy walks in with hair down to his waist, and he's got this cowboy hat on. I said, that is the most amazing cowboy hat I've ever seen. I said, is that a beaver hat? And he said, yeah. I said, that's probably a thousand bucks. He goes, yeah. I said, why are you wearing it? He goes, I make them. 
And this guy starts telling me from his ranch in Utah. He, so it was just on and on and on and on, on these stories. Now the thing is, it, it's, it's, if you really took it as a cross-section of humanity, it's a very normal cross-section of humanity in a very lovely place. Um, and and I, as I talked to people wanting to make the most of their life, that was the theme over and over and over again. People working four jobs to try to make it. Uh, people having made a lot of money somewhere else and now moving there to enjoy life. I just thought, you know, this is such an important human thing. It's such a universal human thing. Every single human being wants to make the most out of their life, don't you? It's just a fact of life. Uh, this is how God created us. He created us to want the most out of life. Uh, we, we, we see this in Genesis chapter 2. God says, you know, you're going to be my co-workers and making the most of this world. You see Jesus coming into the world saying, I've come that you might have life in all its fullness. These aren't just religious words. These are affirmations of creation. Just like the universe is filled with hydrogen, the universe is filled with God's desire for us, personal desire for us, to get the most out of life. And so, as I've thought a lot about it, I've concluded it this way. Making the most out of life involves acquiring wealth, power, and prestige. And it's about rising above your peers and showing everyone how impressive you are. Are you with me so far? <laughs> it's worth whatever it takes to achieve that, and human history offers some compelling strategies that never every generation takes on these same strategies. It's an amazingly consistent theme. As far back as you can go in human history, these are the secrets <clears throat> to making the most of life. Uh, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, there's more. I'm sorry. I left. I, oh, gosh. There's more to that. Okay. Oh, here you go. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 23. The front end is recounting the sad old story that defines humanity seeking what God has intended for us, the good life, the best life, getting the most of life. God embedded that in us. This is an actual feature, not a bug, in our architecture, in our design. Every human being is acting out of what God has built into us. Whether you say, I'm an atheist, or an agnostic, I believe this ideology, that, the fact is, God made you so that you would yearn for life in all its fullness. And what I just read was the plan B of how we get there. Not that anybody starts out saying, I'd just love to be an idolater. Can't wait to worship idols and demons. Can't wait to be you know, sexually you know, just... Uh, so promiscuous that I have no more identity. In fact, I'd love to, you know, nobody starts asking, I just want to rip people off. I want to suck people in, set them up, and then devastate them financially. All these people in the last week you saw in the newspaper taking advantage of, to the tune of millions and almost billions of dollars by cryptocurrency scam artists. Why did those people fall prey to that? You might say, well, I think crypto's crazy. Okay, forget crypto. What was going on there was that these people were saying, here's my shot at making the most out of my life. But this is the plan B way for the scammer to function, because the scammer wants the most out of life. He just wants the most out of your account. 
on the way to his most out of life, and yet it's not plan A, it's plan B. So Paul says to the Galatians, who started on plan A, it's Jesus. And then after a while they're going, I don't know. I don't know. There's still some something in me that wants more. And these people are promising more. And I think the Jesus thing is absolutely, I always believe in Jesus, but this is really attractive to me. And Paul's going, whoa, whoa, whoa. You foolish Galatians, who has hoodwinked you? Who has head faked you? What's happened? Who's, who's distracted you? And, and, and who is talking you into something that is so foolish? It's so foolish, you come out the other end thinking, this makes a lot of sense. Have you ever been in those situations where looking back, maybe from a jail cell, maybe from a courtroom, maybe through a person you failed and they're looking at you going, why did you do that? You're thinking, it just seemed like such a good idea at the time. It just seemed like such a perfect plan. If I could just do that, everything would be okay. I'll never do a bad thing again. And I'll be happy. Finally, I'll be happy. But he says, Paul says to the Galatians, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because you don't, you, you turn your back on it. God won't force the kingdom on you. He invites you into the kingdom. You'll say, no, 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 I got a better deal. You're my backup. You're my plan B. But what they're going for is plan B. And so he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the result of being in a relationship with the living God who made all things, sustains all things, gave us the capacity for joy, uh, gave us the, the sense of whimsy to go to 10,240 feet and have a, have a waffle. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he says, there's no downside to these things. Against such things, there's no law. Nobody's going to accuse you. Hey, you've been loving too much. Nobody's going to you know, turn you into the authorities. Nobody's going to give you a ticket for doing these things. Jesus says it this way. Uh, Matthew records this. This is whole collection you know, of things that Jesus said. <clears throat> But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Life is filled with challenges. Uh, my, my philosophy is that you ought to have high standards and low expectations. High standards. I will not compromise these standards. My low expectations are I live in a fallen world with fallen people. So for what I, I paid for this, but I, I know I can maybe not get that. And there'll be a zillion excuses. So my low expectations aren't holding people, not holding up people accountable. Hey, that, that was a deal you, know, you have to deliver. <clears throat> it's more like just being prepared to not live in a perfect world. I, I tend to want to see everything as it could be perfect. If we just worked harder, if we just got it right, it would be perfect. And it's a self-defeating way to approach the world. Maybe you're a perfectionist as well. You can never do enough. You're always working, 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 and then you rework it. And then you wonder, did I do enough work? And it's a good thing on one hand. I want to do the very best I can do. Great high standards. At some point, your high standards are driving people around you crazy. Because you're impressing on them standards that they can't ever rise to. And they're going, uh, help me. That's why we lie, cheat, and steal. Because we have also, with these, this sense of most out of life impulse in us, we have this highest standards impulse in us. That's why we lie, cheat, and steal. That's why if we think God isn't listening, we turn to idols. 
We turn to silly things on the surface are silly things. Under the surface are demonic things and deadly things. Whether it's a Ouija board or a horoscope <clears throat> or lighting candles to dead people or whatever. It's putting you in enthrall to, to an enemy. Scott Schimmel talked about this two weeks ago. We have an enemy. People are not our enemy. Satan is our enemy. And the less you think about Satan, the better. Don't dismiss Satan. That's a big mistake. Thinking about Satan is a mistake too. Just beware where you have an enemy. So Jesus says, seek God's kingdom first. And everything else will follow. This is not an anti-materialist statement. Some people come to the conclusion that oh, Christianity is the anti-materialist thing. Yeah, 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 all this Jesus stuff and forget the real world. No, that is the real world. The fa- our faith in Christ is highly materialistic, as in God became flesh, sensate. God entered into the world he created. The, pl- the Platonists, the people who followed Plato said, nobody should do that. That's uh, the meaning of God because now he's in the material world. That's, that's gross. The material world is corrupted and polluted. Ah, the, the world that God created, he still loves. He's willing to come into the pollution and the corruption. He embraces the materiality of this world. And so for us to aspire to, I want to buy a home. I want to do this. I want to achieve that. No downside to that. It's how you go about doing that that is the issue. I want the most out of life. A friend was telling me yesterday, his, his, his daughter who got married this year and her husband just bought their first home at Scripps Ranch, and now they're owned by a mortgage. They have been enslaved to a mortgage. I said, wasn't it just yesterday, it seems they were free-thinking, you know, uh, who the burbs, who'd live there? You know, we're these free-thinking, you know, happening people. And, you know, because that's beneath our dignity to think that way. And now they're thinking, thank God we won the lottery of life. We have a home, you know. Uh, and I said, yeah, that's just a normal thing. Uh, John D. Rockefeller said, uh, how much is enough? And somebody asked him how much is enough. He said, just a little more. But you know who said it before him? Were the Puritans, the Puritans, the people who helped found this nation. Uh, We think of Puritans in the most ridiculously distorted way. We think Puritans are people who are bummed out that somebody somewhere might be having a good time. So you say, oh, you're such a Puritan. But the Puritans were people who were saying, hey, if God came in the world to give us life in all its fullness, let's live fully. Let's make the most we can. Let's give away the most we can. Let's improve the, the most we can. So they were just going around everywhere saying, hey, this could be better. Hey, let's make it a university. Let's call it Princeton. Let's make a union. Let's bring these states together. Uh, some people are abusing the, the indigenous people. Let's change that. I know we'll start a school called Dartmouth. Well, that, that'll be a school for indigenous people to, to join us in the university world. The Puritans were people who said, let's live boldly. Let's go for it. And, and it was a very materialistic thing because the Puritans became really wealthy. And what they did with it was they kept giving it away and investing it in not just things, but in people. Do you see how material our faith is? Now, the downside to that is when you say that's the whole point of our faith. That becomes what's called the prosperity gospel. God is supposed to give me stuff. If I seek his kingdom, I'm going to get a big payout. Big equity moment for me. Missing the entire point. It's a quality of life that God is offering us. Whether you're in a prison or if you're living in a penthouse. This sounds like I'm, you know, I don't know what, uh, um, making light of being in prison. I've met some of the happiest people I've ever met in prison. 
I was glad to get out of there at the end of the day. It's a scary place. Nobody wants to go to prison. But some of the people I met there who had been most happy said, you know what, it was here that God met me because I finally had nowhere to run from him. And I can't tell you how happy I am to be here. I hope to get out. I might not. But as long as I'm here, I'm going to try to live for his kingdom and help as many people understand what that looks like and means to me. Now, the guy I was talking to is about nine feet tall, so it's like he's not walking around fearful necessarily. But he's saying, I realize I'm a guy that everybody's intimidated by and might just respect enough to say, so why, why you and Jesus? So to go someplace where everybody is looking really good, slick, fine, and beautiful, is, is to miss the point that it doesn't mean they're, they're living the most out of life, getting the most out of life. And being in a place that's impoverished, impoverished, uh, you know, we're not glorifying poverty ever. Uh, we're not being poetic. Oh, poverty is so beautiful. It's not beautiful. But there's a beauty about the people who are living there that they've chosen to embrace. A friend, uh, I've talked to, uh, I was talking to a friend recently also who, we were in Africa together, and I said, remember when we were in those places, it was some of the poorest places in Africa, and, and people would offer you things that you just felt horrible receiving. Just even the cup of tea or the small meal. You think this is everything to them. But if I reject it, I reject them. I will disrespect them. I'll demean them. Because they feel like my expression of living the most out of life is a share with guests, and we're guests. And so we don't want to pretend that, oh yeah, poverty is awesome. Weakness is awesome. But none of those things get in the way of plan A, of God making you with a capacity to get the most out of life. So are you, are you making the most of your life? How do you know? How can you tell? Is it how you feel? Feelings can be head fakes. Everybody scammed in the crypto scam last week felt really good about the deal. They felt really smart. Feelings are important. They're essential to our humanity. Take your feelings seriously, but don't let your feelings take you places that you shouldn't go. Are you making the most of your life? How do you know? How can you tell? If it's simply about how you feel, you might be in big trouble. Uh, see your feelings as an important part and, 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 and that they play an important role in assessing your life. I'm bummed out. Wow, why are you bummed out? Take that seriously. I'm bored. Wow, why are you bored? What we immediately want to do is medicate against that. I don't like being bored. I don't like feeling unsettled. I don't, feel, I don't like feeling this about my faith, about my marriage. About I know, I'll do something to shake it up. I'll buy this. I'll get that. I'll, I'll add a relationship to this relationship. Wait, wait, whoa, no, no. Don't do that. Uh, adultery is not a way to make the most out of your life. It's to make the most mess out of your life. I think I'll just fudge the books. I'll fudge the research. I think I'll do something crazy. Don't do something crazy. Do something purposeful. How about that? Being bored is normal. Being unhappy is normal. Being angry is normal. Having any emotion you can name is normal. Start with that and say, what is going on here? What is this telling me about where I am? What are these feelings showing me about me? And take them as a gift from God. Not as something to hide from, run away from, be embarrassed by, or cover up. You with me on that? Because this is the number one thing that gets in the way of living the, getting the most out of life. Because if it's all material, and it's all about how I feel, we set ourselves up for, ooh, idolatry. It's in the list. 
That sets us up for doing other things that result in things that we would have never thought we had the capacity to do. Uh, I had a friend who, um, very successful guy, and, and yet I got to a point where I think he's pretty bored in his life. I mean, mad, I mean unbelievably successful and influential. Uh, I could name several guys like this. And, and next thing I know, they were crashing and burning from these massively public and moral things. Blowing up their families, blowing up their professional lives. And, and in, in all cases, every single case, they would say, I don't, I don't, know, what I, I don't know how I got into that. I, I don't know how I did that. Which to me is a wonderful sign, but it's not yet repentance. It's saying, I'm above that kind of thing. And so here I am in this moment comforting them, and at the same time, not at that moment when they're in pain, but later saying, hey, I want to come back to what you said. Because it really said to me that you don't think you're a person who could do that. You're living in denial. You are a person. I am a person who has that capacity. And it's because you didn't see that and own that, you ended up there. I have the capacity to do any of the sins on the list. Maybe you do too. I'm not considering it right now. But all those little steps we we make. So the guy that's in that position, the woman that's in that position, whatever that position is, but where they're now shamed and they're publicly, uh, my life's upside down, they organized their life perfectly for that. Their life was perfectly managed for that. Now, that sounds crazy. I didn't perfectly manage my life for that. Oh, you did. Because behavior is meaningful. Behavior says something behind this behavior was, was organizing and directing and, and allowing you to get here. This is the radical nature of, of being a human being. We have a choice. We have a will. Stuff does not just happen to us. We make choices. Or other people make choices and we end up being victimized by those and then often com- become complicit in those. So this is a super happy, motivating message, I hope. And, um, <laughs> and the reason I'm talking about this is because we all want the most out of life. And I want the most out of life for me and for you. I want it to be that we can celebrate having the most out of life and it looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and Jesus gets all the credit because he's the author of plan A and there is no plan B. And I continue. So, take note of those feelings, those frustrations and failures, and look beyond them. Where? Look to the kingdom of God. Ask the question, how do I get the most out of life? And ask it of the Lord first. Because if you ask it of anybody else, they'll give you the best answer they can give you. And some will be benign. Work hard, you know, save your money. And some of them will be, man, don't ever let anybody close. Don't ever let yourself be, you know. You get a whole array of stuff. Every drug dealer is trying to make the most of their life. Every person preying on young women, everybody, everybody preying on young people, everybody preying on people who can be trafficked, everybody fudging the data, everybody working the, the, the accounts is just trying to get the most out of life. They deserve our compassion, even though we hold them accountable for doing what they've done. You see, this is our human dilemma. Nobody can stand in judgment and say, oh, look at you people. What we're really saying is, ah, look at you people, you got caught. And I haven't. So it's not denying your feelings, but discerning your desired future. God wants that future for you. Even if it comes really simple. Even if the best meal I ever have is a waffle on foil. 
I can go to my grave saying it was probably the best birthday breakfast I've ever enjoyed. It was so much fun, so simple, so unadorned. And yes, I could have hiked up there. I just didn't have time. (laughs) So Paul cites these fruits of the Spirit as the natural and supernatural uh, result uh, that comes from from seeking God's kingdom. Uh, And so their qualities and behaviors linked to our alignment with God's purposes. And the analogy to fruit is perfect because no roots, no fruits. And this series is called Rooted. The idea that we get rooted means that something comes out of those. Gone for two weeks, I come back and there's stuff growing in our garden. How could that happen? I wasn't there. It's because it's rooted. And so I'm thinking, oh my gosh, look at all this stuff. And I get to give it away. And I was, Yesterday I was looking around all this stuff and I, I finished work, editing my sermon and I went out in the front yard looking at it. Wow, this guy's walking by with his dog. He goes, God, great garden. I said, do you like, uh, you like oregano? <laughs> He's like, well, we just met, you know, but I, <laughs> nobody's ever asked me that before. I, and I'm holding this big hunk of, of oregano that Janet had cut off because it's going, you know, oregano goes crazy. It moves in subtly and then takes over. And so I, I, he said, yeah, I love oregano. I said, here. He goes, oh, man, thanks. I said, anytime you walk by here and you see something that's, that you want, just come get it. Um, this is the, the great thing about the fruit of the Spirit. You want everybody to have it. You want everybody to share in it. And so let me, let me just give you three points here. Um, but let me, let me just give you one final context. How can I make the most of my life is the right question to ask, starting with asking God. Then ask godly people whose counsel you trust. Because if you ask those people uh, who are mature, seasoned people, what should I do? They'll be typically the people who say, no, 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 quitting is not an option right now. They'll also be the people wise enough to say, you know what, now's the time to quit. Why? Because they have values and high aspirations, high standards, but a good sense of timing and wisdom. So we always ask the question, hey, am I getting the most out of my life? If not, how, how do I get that? And as you consult God and his word and then wise people, you start to become reminded of things you believe already, or you heard or you know, but somehow you just have set aside and now you don't know why, but okay, I'll grab them again. So making the most of your life integrates our identity and our impact. Our identity is just who we are, uh, and our impact is what we do because of who we are. Identity is shaped always by commitments, and specifically commitments to God and people. The people you commit yourself to, that is, let influence you, the God you let influence you, shapes your identity. That's why good people end up doing crazy bad things. They made commitments to people that took them in places they didn't intend to go. And then they did things they didn't intend to do. So the identity and impact can't be separated. That's what I said before about belief you know, and behavior. Behavior is always meaningful. When you see behavior, don't dismiss it as, well, that's not me. Of course it's you. Let's just track where that behavior came from. What, the, what is the root of that? Oh, loneliness. You're doing that because you're lonely. Oh, you're doing that because you're angry. You're doing that because you're jealous and resentful that something you, you thought you deserved, you're not getting. And so how would you describe your identity? Uh, let me give you some ideas that followers of Jesus um, can, can express anywhere around the world. I'm loved by God. I'm forgiven and forgiving. I'm a friend of God. I'm saved by God. I'm sanctified by God. I'm sustained by God. I'm a partner with God in his work in the world. Those are identity statements. 
Uh, Jesus made a bunch of identity statements. We call them the I am's of Jesus. You see these throughout the New Testament. He said things like, I'm the bread of life, I'm the light of the world, I am the door, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the resurrection and the life, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, I'm the true vine, and I call you friends. Those are identity statements from Jesus. It's who he is. He's saying, here's who I am. And following from that, Jesus made a bunch of I came statements. I came to do these things. Because of who I am, this is what I do. This is what every corporate mission statement is built on. Here's who we are, therefore this is what we do. If you're right now thinking, I need to write a mission statement for my company, this is where you do it. It's two parts, and you can build it out forever. But here's who we are, here's our identity, and here's what we do because of our identity. We provide the best widgets the world has ever not needed. You know, whatever. And it goes for your personal mission statement as well. Because of who I am, this is what I do. And so who we are in Christ determines what we do through Christ. The Christ who came into the world because he cares about it and he cares about us. There's a value proposition here. It's not wishful thinking on our part. It's a response to God's declaration that you have worth and value. I've come to tell you about it, remind you about it, and save you for it. So Jesus' I came statements sound like this. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus said, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. I've come as light into the world so that whoever believes in me will not remain in darkness. I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. I've come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. I've come to bear witness to the truth. I came that you might have life in all its fullness, right? So the I am's and the I came's in him and in us make all the difference. So the second thing following from that, this identity impact proposition is this. Jesus is our fixed point on the horizon. So the second idea is this. The second point would be this. Jesus had a clear sense of his mission in the world. You might say, well, he did so many things. What are you talking about? Which, which was his mission? All of it was his mission because it all came out of who I am and what I came to do. There's a clear through line there if you stay, take time to watch it. That through line is basically a direction. I've come to do the will of the Father. And as I'm doing the will of the Father, I've come to do these things for you. And then adding details to, those, to that direction is what life's about. I want to do this. I want to be this. And, it's, and you know, life isn't linear, so life is like this. But the details are supporting that through line. And at the end of the day, this is who I am. This is who I hope to be. Now, you might say, I didn't know who I was going to marry. I didn't know where I was going to live. I didn't really know what job I'd end up with. So many things you ask any person at the end of their life, did you know? No, I had no idea. I just knew that I wanted to be what Christ wanted me to be. And I don't see that as a religious category. I see that as a life category. It's fair to ask the question, if Jesus isn't in it, is it worth it? Well, I work at the DMV. How can you ask me that question? Ah, good, good, good place to start. If, if you're in Christ and Christ is in you and you're in the DMV, everybody who encounters you at the DMV is encountering Christ. They'll walk away saying, you know, that was the nicest encounter I've ever had at the DMV. That person treated me with such kindness and respect. They were patient with my confusion about what I needed or didn't need. And all of a sudden you go, I, have a, I don't relate to DMV jokes anymore. 
this, see, this is, this is where we've, we've made a separation in our culture. You know, religion is over here and real life is over here. The reason that was made was originally we see when people in the name of Jesus do horrible things, it doesn't work for anybody. So he said, let's have a government that's based on these values and principles that's fair for everybody, and everybody can apply their faith to that. And so the division that we have in the Constitution isn't to keep out plan A, seek first the kingdom of God. It's to say people can co-opt and game anything. We don't want people co-opting the name of God and the kingdom of God and then running a government from that position. It's horrible. It's oppressive. Theocracies are very bad. Why? Because they stop being about the kingdom of God and they start being about the kingdom of the people in power. So we need to then say, okay, formally there's a division out there, but functionally I am in Christ wherever I go. He's in me wherever I go. And therefore my mission is a direction, seeking the kingdom of God. And the details of that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc., are going to inform all of my interactions. Do you follow this? This means you don't have to ask permission to be a follower of Jesus in any job you have, in any setting you're in. You just have to be you in Christ wherever you are. And the darndest thing is you don't have to mug people in his name either. You don't have to be socially inappropriate. You don't have to barge into their life. You're sitting fishing all day. You have deep theological conversations with people who didn't intend to have one when they came up that morning and said, let's go fishing. And it's not me as a pastor, but hey, how can I move this conversation? It's just, we're fishing, we're hanging out, and next thing somebody tells you that they're in rehab, you go, oh, wow, how's that working for you? Well, here's what I'm learning. And, and I've, what I'm learning is I can't do it on my own. I need community. Wow, community is powerful. Where do you think that comes from, that whole need for community? I don't know, but it seems like it's kind of a, it's almost a religious thing. I said, wow, yeah. Are you, is it, are you in a 12-step program? Yeah. The whole thing about you know, confessing, you know, it's, wow, you know. It's funny, the guy that invented that was a, was a minister. Bill and Bob went to this guy, Sam Shoemaker, and said, hey, how do we put all this on paper? And Sam Shoemaker was this go-for-it evangelical Anglican, Episcopal, wealthy guy in, in Pittsburgh who had become a Christian through Princeton University on a mission trip to China, told his family, I'm not going to be a corporate czar like our, our, my family. I'm going to be a minister. They were appalled. And so here's Sam Shoemaker just doing his thing, reaching all these people nobody else could reach because they were too wealthy and educated to be reached. But Sam is one of them, so Sam is reaching them. Bill and Bob like Sam. And so Sam writes the 12 steps, and they tone them down so nobody feels like they're freaking out that they're getting drafted into a church. And this guy on a boat on the Snake River in Wyoming is telling me that the, that, that the kingdom of God has changed his life. He didn't have the articulation, the language, the vocabulary to say it that way. But in a conversation of just saying, hey, here's some historical perspective on that, he's going, holy fish, you know, I mean, I didn't know that, you know. You see where this goes? Jesus had a sense of mission, do you? How about loving God and walking with him in every day of your life? How about learning his word and his ways through scripture and community? How about speaking the truth in love? How about doing honest work with integrity and discipline? How about learning to proclaim, teach, and demonstrate God's kingdom? How about seeing yourself as someone blessed to be a blessing? How about being God's friend and serving him in partnership with his people? How about loving and serving others as God has loved and served you? How God is loving and serving you? How about honoring your roles and your commitments? How about enjoying God's grace and generally, generously extending it to others? That sounds missional to me because of who you are and therefore what you do. 
And so therefore, everybody's mission looks different the way you live it out, but it's all from the same core, the same core. And so when you ask somebody, wow, what's at your core? They tell you, you think, oh my gosh, it's my core too. How did you end up being a ballet dancer? Or how did you end up being a, a, you know, a violin repair person? Or how did you end up being an aerospace scientist? Or how did you become whatever you are? Well, as I was following Christ, I kept saying, Lord, what, what is it that you want me to do? And he kept leading me in ways that touched on the things I actually loved and found that I had a gift for, and I fly jets. I discover things to help people, whatever it is. I change diapers, I, you know. All of it counts, all of it's high and holy work if it's done under the auspices of the kingdom of God with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. So you are a beloved child of God. And loving and serving is your God-ordained impact. Because your identity is that of a beloved child of God, your impact is serving Him and serving others out of that core identity. You might say, well, I serve them by putting together fair mortgages. I serve them by investing money wisely. I serve them by teaching them how to do surgery, UCSD. I teach them how to parse Latin words so they can learn, you know, whatever. I mean, there's no end to the variations that come out of this. It's not restrictive. It releases God's people into the world. It's recovering and discovering our role as God's co-workers caring for his creation. So I leave you with this thought, third point. Making the most of your life on God's terms makes life better for everyone around you. When the fruit of the Spirit is alive in you, it blesses me. I'm the beneficiary when you are walking with Jesus. I'm not the beneficiary if, if uh, there are people in my life that harangue me in the name of Jesus. They call me up and tell me crazy things about Jesus. When Jesus is coming back, they say crazy things to me. They rebuke me for not believing the crazy things and teaching the crazy things. So I get some crazy stuff in the name of Jesus. You are going to get some crazy stuff in the name of Jesus. And just chalk that up to people's good intentions or inherent insanity. I don't know which one it is half the time. And I try not to react ang- with anger. I just say, okay, thanks for your input. It's just not helpful to me. And I, I just don't see it that way. And if they want to, I'll say, here's why I see it the way I see it. So the fruit of the Spirit and an authentic seeking after God's kingdom blesses everybody in your pathway. And it fulfills the golden rule. You know, uh, the one with the gold makes the rules. No, different, different golden rule. Oh, the other golden rule. Treat others as you want to be treated. Treat others as you want to be treated. Better yet, treat others as they need to be treated for your identity and your impact because you're seeking the kingdom of God. And though, like Christ said, you know, it said of Christ, while we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. While we were the people who were opposed to him, he loved us. Let's be those people. That's the real golden rule brought forward. Because of who Christ is in me, I'm going to be that to you. Because of what Christ is doing and has done for me, I'm going to do my best to do that for you. That becomes a rule that is priceless, don't you think? Do you think that would make the most of the value proposition of your life? I think so. You'll handle success better. You'll handle failure better. When you finally get that beautiful place you wanted to live and and you're living there, you'll actually fill it with something of content. Love, joy, peace, etc. If you lose that for some reason or never attain it, 
The small place you live will be filled with love, joy, peace, patience, etc. This is the gift that God is giving us that we get to give to each other if we're rooted in him. Do you want to be rooted in Christ? Do you want to have the most out of your life? Of course you do. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. So Lord Jesus, that's my prayer, my, my gratitude for you. We thank you for making that apparent to us in your word, in your life, in your ministry, in the history of your people, telling these truths captured in uh, stories and experiences, pushing through cultural barriers, socioeconomic barriers, political barriers, engulfing the whole world uh, with a message of hope. And yet, Lord, we see so much darkness in us and around us. We know that you're creating a new heaven and a new earth, that we get to be part of that process. We're in the midst of it right now, and you might return tonight, or it might be beyond our lifetime. In any case, Lord, we know that we can live the most out of our lives because you're in them. You're in everything in our lives that we allow you to be in. So, Lord, we invite you to come to fill us, to cleanse us, Renew us, restore us, revive us, lift us out of despair. Clear our confused thinking. Give us humility and vulnerability to be curious and ask questions and reach out for help. Give us the humility to say, I need help, and to to seek it. Give us the, the courage to reach out to people and offer help. Lord, help us to be strong in a way that points people back to you so that we don't apologize for Uh, the good things we experience, we simply give you all thanks and glory for them. We pray this in Jesus' high and holy name. Amen. As we wrap up worship, it's a time for offering, and that's not giving money time. We want you to give money. Give it another time. Uh, Put it in the box if if you brought some with you you want to give. Um, We have a Brinks truck backing up right now, and that'll take care of that if you have that uh, need. Send us, send us whatever you want to send us. But right now, this offering is you offering yourself to Christ. So let's do that together.
So he's our living hope. We're not looking back. We're looking ahead. Because what he's done, we're anxious to see what he wants to do. You, you are the embodiment of that living hope. Christ in you is the hope of the world. Christ in you is the hope of glory. And so in the most humble um, and understated way, you are the hope of the world. It's crazy to think about it. Uh, don't get carried away with it. Don't go home and tell your spouse and your kids that, by the way, I am the hope of the world. I've got some things to say to you. Uh, just say, isn't it great that because of Christ in the world, I have hope, we have hope as a marriage, as a family, and we get to bring that hope with us wherever we go. That's what it means for you to be the hope of the world. And so uh, go out and get something to eat because the, the, the people who bring hope to the world and march on their stomach. You need to get some, get some food, delicious food out there. Come right back here in about 20 minutes. Uh, we're going to show these, this brief film uh, made in uh, London, and, and 22 million people have watched it. It's called The Alpha Project, and they're brilliant. And then we watch it for about 20 minutes, and we just talk a little bit about, hey, what did you see there? Oh, how did that resonate with you? They're, they're incredibly uh, fantastic uh, films. So um, you're going to want to come back and have a, a discussion about that. Super neat. May the Lord bless you and keep you because he loves you. He's wild about you. He knows you better than anyone, and he still loves you. And he wants the best for you. He wants you to get the most out of life. As you seek first his kingdom, as his spirit fills you with the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Nothing can hold you back when you have those in you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.